Hello everyone, Julian Charles here of themindrenewed.com, podcasting to you as usual from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. Today it is my great pleasure to welcome back to the programme Vince McCann, the Director of Spotlight Ministries here in the UK, who joined us last year to share with us his uh, dramatic, well really very dramatic testimony of being released from the power of the occult through faith in Jesus Christ. And let me just say before we get going with this conversation, if you haven't heard that interview before, then I do very strongly suggest that you go back to the 2013 interview archive at The Mind Renewed to find that because it really is well worth listening to. It's very dramatic and uh, I would say very powerful testimony to the power of Jesus Christ. And it was that experience, of course, which prompted Vince to begin Spotlight Ministries, which uh, no doubt we'll be speaking about in a few minutes from now. So Vince, it's great to be speaking with you again. Thanks for joining us for a second time. It's good to be here, Julian. Thanks for having me again. Really appreciate it. That's a great pleasure. You, you must be a glutton for punishment coming yes. on a second time. <laughs> oh, it's always a joy to so come on your show, Julian. It really is. Now, the subject that we said that we were going to talk about today is the Ouija board and uh, perhaps some other occult practices are a bit similar to that in one way or another. And uh, I guess a lot of people might consider that kind of thing to be nothing more than a little bit of fun. You know, there's that phrase, oh, it's just a little bit of fun. It's no danger at all there. I believe that you can actually get Ouija boards now from toy shops and uh, probably things like uh, tarot cards as well. So, you know, obviously that means it's all harmless. But uh, I know that you have a very different view from that. And that's uh, pretty much informed by your own experience of getting involved in uh, the occult in past years. And obviously we'll be getting into a little bit of of that very soon. But um, as you uh, have been with us before, and some people um, no doubt will remember our first interview, I just thought uh, I'd ask, you know, how are you getting on and how, how are things going with you, Vince, at the moment? Yeah, things are not too bad, Julian. Uh, as I was saying to you before, though, I've currently got a blocked ear. <laughs> so I can only actually hear out of one ear at the moment. So, But I thought rather than cancel the interview to just uh, carry on with it and uh, one thing or another that seems to try and hinder us from doing the Lord's will. So um, despite blocked ear, I'll come on. So uh, hopefully I'm coming across okay, the main thing. I can hear you through my good ear, pretty okay. Marvellous. You're coming across absolutely fine. Oh, I guess good. it sounds a bit odd to you, but that oddness is is not coming across the worst, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, things have been fine. Um, you know, family life's been good. Um, work's pretty settled at the moment. Uh, ministry opportunities still on YouTube, Shazulo channel. Lots of people seem to get helped. It's, always, it's, it's a privilege really to help people and to have this means of communication through the internet where folk who are going through similar bad experiences that I went through can be helped. You know, I think it's a brilliant tool that we can use for as long as we can, while we can, really. Because we, we couldn't do it in North Korea or Saudi Arabia or something like that. You, you wouldn't be able to operate in such a way. So I think it's it's great to be able to get the message out there, the Christian message, and mm. uh, you know, a lot of people do get helped. So, yeah, and Facebook as well. I've got a couple of groups that I'm running what are those Facebook pages? Do you want to tell people what they are? Yeah, the, the evangelistic one is primarily to suggest ideas in the form of quotes, pictures, scriptures, testimonies, where, where people can share these things and then repost them on their Facebooks, their own Facebooks. If we feel it's sort of like a forum where Christians can come together and experiment to say what works, what doesn't work, but also just general evangelistic ideas as well, like how to use tracts, how to speak to people. Anything like that is welcome. So we've got that group. 
And the other one is the Spirit Entity Harassment Support Group, which sounds a bit of a mouthful, but I use that title because I, I want to really attract non-Christians to that Facebook group as well, because there's a lot of people out there that suffer things like night terrors, uh, horrible dreams, encounters with spirits. Some of these people are too embarrassed, really, to, to tell anybody. Others that do tell people don't seem to really get any help. So this is a group where Christians and non-Christians alike can come and share experiences and get support and help from each other. But it is a Christian site and we do offer Christian Bible-based solutions. Ultimately, the answer to such oppression is in Christ, being connected to him, calling upon the name of Jesus, rebuking these negative encounters that people have by using the name of Jesus. But that's going really well. That's doing very well, that group at the moment. And there's a good group of people on there. I can't contribute as much as I'd like because of time restraints. Yeah, and did you find that uh, some people who have these problems, who are connected in some way to Christian communities, nevertheless find that they can't find the freedom that they need in order to express their problems and find help? Yeah, I think uh, because it's such an unusual and quite a frightening subject, a lot of people feel that they might be misunderstood, mm. you know, even Christians as well. Although when you open the pages of the Bible, you see the reality of demons and the devil it seems that there's a lot of churches that don't really want to think about it too much, it seems, or meet it head on mm. like we should be. I mean, we shouldn't be afraid of discussing it and trying to tackle it. Yeah, and I, and I think as we probably did, I think we did discuss last time, there are some churches that go the other way, don't they, and take things far too far and uh, consider that every problem that comes along must be some kind of spiritual harassment, which, of course, is not the yeah. case. Yeah, I think life's all about balance, isn't it? I mean, some, somewhere in the middle is the truth and people can go into extremes and that's when problems do occur, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what you're doing is a very, very worthwhile ministry indeed. And would you, would you say that uh, all of this is part of your Spotlight Ministries? Because that's a website, isn't it, essentially? Yeah. Well, the Spotlight Ministries website focuses on similar things. There's articles there that help people who are having neg- negative spiritual encounters and people who are caught up in deception and mm. people who are looking for answers. Yeah, so the Spotlight Ministries site is similar in that respect, yeah. Right, great. Well, as I said, uh, we're going to be talking about the Ouija board and other things of that nature. And um, as I said to you in the emails, I think I called it um, all things Ouija as as a way of kind of describing that. And I'm wondering that for those people who haven't heard your dramatic testimony, I think it might be a good idea if if you wouldn't mind giving us a very brief recap on that. Because I mean, obviously, we're going to be talking about a subject like this. I think it's helpful to know just a little bit about where you're coming from on this. Otherwise, it can sound like it's just a you know a sharing of you know uninformed opinion but that's really not the case uh, with you um, so if you could just give us a, a very brief recap on what happened to you that would be really helpful yeah well i am um, as a young man i was quite interested in looking for meaning in life like a lot of people why we're here what it's all about what happens after we die these kind of questions seem to intrigue me but i, I didn't seem to see any answers in the church at the time i, I visited a few churches with school and I just couldn't connect with anything really there. So I came across the paranormal initially, things like ghosts, UFOs, and became quite intrigued by that. But this soon led me into occultism. First of all, it was hypnosis and then books on witchcraft. And it, it just got darker and darker, really. And in the end, I was calling upon demons and spirits in uh, from a book which I had, which was a grimoire, which is a quite a dark book of occultism and I, I was making connections with these beings 
eventually I got in contact with a girl who had some real problems. And uh, at first I just thought they were mental health problems, but eventually it became apparent that this girl was, was possessed by spirits and the spirits spoke through her in a, using a male voice. She could perform supernatural feats such as uh, create lights, orbs would appear. She could influence people. She had ability to foresee things as well that did come to pass. She, she had supernatural strength. She foamed at the mouth. Uh, there was multiple personalities as well. And this is all quite interesting because later I'm going to become a Christian. And I looked at the accounts in the Gospels where Jesus dealt with the demonized. This is exactly what I found. And I had very little knowledge of the Bible or Christianity or, or God, although I always did believe in God quite confused about who he was when i become a christian when i got away from this girl and got away from the occults i was just amazed when i read the gospels foaming at the mouth supernatural strength multiple personalities jesus met a man called legion because there was many demons in him it made so much sense to me really wow th th this fits exactly what happened to me and i even had demons cast out of myself as well um, amazing as it sounds one morning at the front of a Pentecostal church, I got some prayer. This was in front of around about between 300 to 500 people. As I got prayed over, I hit the floor and slithered across the floor like a snake at speed, winding back and forth. And a voice was coming out of me that I had no control over. And it was using my vocal cords and I was underneath screaming, help, help. And this thing was laughing and, and, and screaming and it, I could feel its emotions. It, it was mocking the pastor. It was mocking the congregation. And the pastor came over and he prayed and he was trying to cast this thing out in the name of Jesus. And I could feel this force coming down from the pastor as he said the name Jesus. And eventually the spirit was expelled. But I had other problems as well. I mean, it, it continued for a little while after that and similar things occurred. But again, in the Bible, spirits were cast out by Jesus. And as believers, now we, we have the authority in Christ to cast out these spirits in the name of Jesus. So I experienced that firsthand. It was quite amazing. Well, indeed, that certainly gives a, a very definite insight into your background with this. And as I said before, I think it would be a really good idea for people to go back and hear the full testimony that you have there, because there's so much more in there. Actually, just in passing, you mentioned their spirit orbs. Oh, yeah. And this is something that's come up in the news recently, that even Christian pastors actually asking spirit orbs to uh, appear in the yeah. congregation. Presumably, they're saying this is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And I must admit, when I look at the New Testament, I don't see any mention of spirit yeah. orbs. I just wondered if you had any view about what's going on there. Yeah, I've heard about this, um, some Christians welcoming this phenomena. From my own experience, I would say it's something to not be encouraged at all. Yep. Because as you've just said, Julian, there, you know, there's no uh, mention of that in the New Testament encouraging that kind of phenomena at all. It does seem like lying signs and wonders that the Bible has, has warned us of would come uh, to deceive even the elect. Because the experience I had was uh, connected with the demonic. And it does seem that when people have these experiences of orbs, by and far, they seem bedfellows with the occult and the world of the paranormal and ghosts and hauntings and all that kind of negative stuff. So for them to appear in a church, I think it would be quite worrying. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the thing that uh, concerns me about it is it's sort of, 
gets everybody oriented towards the sensational all the time. Yeah. So, you know, they're looking for the next kind of thing. Was it orbs one week and then sort of uh, gold tooth fillings or whatever yeah. the, the next week or, 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 you know, sort of sparkly effects on the hands. And yeah. <laughs> all of that seems to take away the, the concentration upon God, really. <laughs> or at least there's a yeah. danger of that. Well, there's a scripture that's just, just come to mind as you're speaking, Julian. It's when Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but there should be no sign given it except the, the sign of Jonah. And of course, the, the, the sign of the, of the resurrection, Jesus appearing uh, after three days. But it, it, it seems that people do f- look after signs and to go flocking for them. And, and we're told in the New Testament that when the Antichrist comes, he will perform signs. He'll give people signs, even causing, as it would appear fire to come down from heaven i think people are being prepared for that in the new age movement the occult and and sadly as you mentioned uh, even in the church yes i do think it is a real danger and people should be very wary of that sort of thing and uh, well indeed do what it says in the new testament itself the bereans weren't they were were told that they were doing the right thing when they were checking out what was happening by the scriptures and that's what we obviously need to do yeah so we're going to turn to this subject then of the ouija board and uh, i know a lot of people would say as i said before there's no harm in it uh it's a, a wooden board it's got some numbers and letters printed on it it's got yes and no printed on it um i believe it even in many cases has the word goodbye also mm-hmm. and um there's this little cursor thing that uh, somebody holds yeah. and it's got some wheels and uh move it around with a seance and uh, you just have a laugh with your friends light a few candles and uh well you know it's spooky it's just a laugh and perhaps a glass of wine or something yeah you know what's the problem so you know having painted that picture there uh, why on earth vince do you think that the ouija board is a problem at all i think one of the things that concerns me mainly is, is that from a biblical point of view from a christian point of view we're warned not to try and seek contact with the so-called dead that the Bible does warn us about that. And I think God, being a good God, knows that if we try and connect with forces outside his will, then we are going to open ourselves up to all kinds of things, all kinds of problems. Mm. Do you reckon that most people then who do this are actually trying to contact the dead specifically? It seems to be, yeah. Yeah, but mm. not always. It, I mean, the Bible says that Satan masquerades as an angel of lies. And he appears in any form people want, basically. So if someone wants the dead, then the spirits that come through the Ouija board will pretend to be the dead. Mm. Uh, Some people might try and contact extraterrestrials. They might just try and contact spirits of some kind of form or nature that that you might not be able to quite pin down or define. Some people try and contact basically anything, really. I mean, I've even heard stories about people trying to make contact with dolphins. Really? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) dolphins, yeah. People will try and contact anything. And, of course, Satan being Satan, being able to take on any form that he so chooses, will give a person what they want. And I came across this uh, word Zozo. Have you come across that? Quite a famous sort of, uh, some sort of spirit revealing their name when people contact yeah, Zozo, I've heard of that. I'm not, I can't quite recall what that is, actually. Yeah. But I have heard of it in connection with the Ouija board. But, I mean, I, I um, as a young person, I did have a rough experiment with the Ouija board with a few friends, and it was just a very crude, homemade attempt at trying to make one. And I think we all scared ourselves half to death, really, with really? the thing. Yeah. Well, what happened There was a lot of fear. I, it's a bit vague, really, in, in the recollection of it. It was well before I really started getting into the occult more seriously as a teenager. But we got some paper and we wrote some letters down and, and started, I think we had a glass. 
And we, we, I remember we were all terrified. Something scary happened. It, sort of, it was like a raised emotion. And people, they'd become quite distressed at this uh, experiment that we tried to set up. But I've got a friend who, and I think a lot of people have friends like this, who you know are not prone to exaggeration. We all know people like this, don't we, who are very reliable. You know, you can trust them at their word because they're not known exaggerators. And there's this childhood friend of mine that I grew up with. His name is Mark. And he told us this horrific story that he had with the Ouija board and with some of his friends where they set up the board in a room. And as they started to get something coming through and the planchettes, the little heart-shaped device started to roll around, somebody looked at a crack in the cupboard and there was a pair of green eyes. And they were like bright green eyes, not the cat. <laughs> I was going to say that. I've got a cat in this <laughs> room. <laughs> but um, these demonic green eyes were glowing from this crack. They all ran out of the, of the room hysterically, all sort of bumping into each other and screaming. And they went out into the streets. And when they turned around to look at the house that they'd come from, all of the windows were all slanted and the door was slanted. Everything was all twisted. And they were all like holding on to each other, screaming. And they, they all saw this as well. They all saw the, the house all twisted and, and slanted like a fun house. And then something snapped and then the house was back to normal. I always remember that story, and I believe him because, mm-hmm. you know, he, as I say, he is a reliable individual, not prone to exaggeration. I mentioned this to you in the previous interview that we had, um, that that kind of phenomenon, although previous to my own experience, I would have thought, oh, well, you know, that's just psychological or that's just a tall tale. But let me repeat it here in brief that I did actually have an experience that uh, fits slightly what you said there. Yeah. About 20 years ago, I was speaking with a friend who it was in his house and he and his mother had been involved with witchcraft. And we were talking about subjects that were going into spiritual areas. He was actually a Christian at the time and he had converted. Um, but we were talking about spiritual matters that touched on his previous life. And at that moment, I had a, a really oppressive spiritual experience it just came right out of the blue, or I suppose right out of the dark, actually. And uh, it was really, really frightening. And I was I was shaking for hours afterwards. But mm. while that happened, his face appeared to change to me. Now, I, I'm quite convinced that in reality, it didn't. But my mind was so yeah. affected um, that he, he had this malevolent appearance on his face. So the idea that um, you, you know your mind can be so affected that you see things in a different way, I completely believe that that happened to these people. Now, I know the question then will be, uh, but is yeah. this just a psychological effect? Now, of course, that's something perhaps we'll talk about uh, in, in a few minutes. And I, I believe that, and I think I have good reason to believe that to explain away all such things as yeah. psychology, it just doesn't fit the phenomena that's there, you know. But we'll, we'll maybe talk about that in, in, in a few minutes. Um, what I wanted to ask you about, you, you brought up the Bible saying that we shouldn't get involved in these kinds of things. Uh, but I wonder what you make of that strange story of the Witch of Endor in first samuel where saul calls you know uh, bring me a medium because you know i'm f- fighting against the uh, philistines yeah. it's not going well i need to find out what to do bring me a medium and uh, she then seems anyway to channel the spirit of samuel now whether it actually is samuel who's you know but she seems to channel samuel and uh, that's you know that's a really very odd account and i yeah. suppose a lot of people could think ah well you know this guy this king in the bible actually does this and so maybe that's something a pattern that we should follow what do you reckon the bible's teaching there yeah i mean there's different views on that isn't there some people think that it was samuel that that appeared 
and some people think that it was just a spirit that was made to appear to be Samuel. But it seems that if it was Samuel, I think it would be a very unusual sort of one-off occasion where God allowed this to happen, to to act as a rebuke, basically, Mm -hmm. when you look at the context of it. Because it seemed that even the witch herself was quite surprised (laughs) that this Samuel popped up. Yeah, and I often feel with these kinds of things, actually with a lot of things in the Bible, that just because something is recorded as having happened in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean, therefore, that that is an advice that you should do it. I mean, it, it records people's mistakes as well as people's exactly. good actions and so that's yeah. a good point yeah i, I think um yeah, yeah i think there's a saying isn't it that there's a lot of things that are in the bible that are descriptive not prescriptive mm-hmm. it tells us what's happening but we shouldn't necessarily follow the example because the, the bible is is a record of man's mistakes as well isn't it absolutely <laughs> and, and failings <laughs> and fallings i mean david committed yes. adultery and there's a, there's a lot of uh, real clangers there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of the problem with this is that, uh, you know, we talk about the Bible being the word of God, and very often that is not nuanced and not really thought about and taught about, really. And I actually think it's quite a complex notion to tease apart. What do we actually mean when we say it's the word of God? And um, obviously we're not going to be able to go into great detail with that at the moment, but I do think part of it is realising that it is God's communication to us in a very broad sense, not on every single word is being taken as some kind of advice as to what you should do, but in this broader sense, God is communicating with us, and then we have to actually get into the hard work of understanding what this actually means. So, you know, taking something like this as being as, as advice that one should get involved in mediums and Ouija boards and all that would be a, just a, a misunderstanding of, of that whole doctrine, really. And we need to take the whole of the word of God as, as a complete as well. I mean, of course, in, in Deuteronomy 18, it speaks about verses 9 to 13, about not being involved in these kind of practices. Mm. It says, uh, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found amongst you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, one who interprets omens or is a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell or a medium or a spiritualist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. That, of course, is just one example, isn't it, of the numerous other scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, which speak about spiritualism being frowned upon, you know, to not imitate the nations who were involved in those practices. And indeed, of course, Saul himself had tried to stop that from happening and then hypocritically goes and does it himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose, I don't know whether you'd agree, but uh, would you say that in prohibiting us from getting involved in this kind of thing, it's not that God is being selfish or a killjoy, it's to do with him wanting to protect us? Definitely, I would say, yeah, because, I mean, I mean, I mean it's not it's not just Christians that speak about the dangers of the Ouija board. I mean, mm. I, I've spoke to a lot of pagans and, and uh, neo-pagans and occultists on YouTube in, in the past and on the Internet in general. And uh, sometimes we can be accused of using Christian propaganda and just trying to scare people. But it's, it's not mm. just Christians who are warning about about this. There's occultists and spiritualists as well who who were warn about it, and, and even people with no real religious belief will, will warn against it. And, and even if they don't recognise it as being spiritual in nature, they'll warn against the psychological dangers of, of, of what happens because there's just too many stories that have come out where people have been seriously damaged in one way or another by the Ouija board. 
I've got a quote here. It's a book on the occult called The New Encyclopedia of the Occults, John Michael Greer. And it's on page 351. And it says under the entry for Ouija, says there are enough accounts of psychic and spiritual trouble that began with Ouija experimentation, though, that definite caution may well be appropriate. As with any means of interacting with the subtle planes of being, Ouija should not be treated as a game or a toy, end quote. It goes on, but I mean, that's the relevant part of the, of the quote I'd like to get across. Because as you mentioned earlier, this is being promoted as a toy. Parker Brothers, Hasbro are producing it as a toy. You can get this thing on Amazon. You can get a pink Ouija board for young girls. Obviously, it's aimed at young girls. Who else would want a Barbie pink, pretty looking Ouija board? And and there's the glow in the dark one for boys as well. I mean, this encyclopedia on the occult says it's not a toy. It's not a toy. This is not a Christian source that's saying this. It's interesting, though, that uh, when I went to Wikipedia to find out a little bit about it, you know, because I thought this isn't a particularly controversial subject. So what Wikipedia says might actually be true <laughs> in, yeah. the, in this case. Um, and I, I just uh, noticed that it was actually introduced commercially uh, in the first place, you know, as a just a parlor game um, yeah. back in the Victorian era by a guy called Elijah Bond, uh, just a yeah. business, businessman lawyer, I think, as well. I don't know anything about him, really. Um, but that's how it was first marketed, yeah. just as a game. I know. It's quite surprising, really because apparently there was different forms of the Ouija board that existed in Greece and in the ancient world uh, well before it was even marketed as a, as a game, but there's different versions of it. But yeah, it, it seems to really take off just after the First World War when I think a lot of people were eager to try and get in touch with dead relatives and they thought that this was a good way of doing so. Mm. But uh, some, some of the things that have resulted in the Ouija board, going back to the some of the bad experiences, a, a lot of people, of course, are familiar with the story of The Exorcist, the film, and where, where the young girl is possessed by spirits. And it's quite horrific, really. The, 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 the film is a horrendous film, and I wouldn't particularly advise anyone to watch it because it is so traumatic, the film that was made in the 70s. But not everyone seems to realise that that story is based on, a, on real events that did occur Rather than being a young girl, though, it was it was a young man who began to first first of all they began to hear scratching and, and noises around the house, and then eventually the, the the young man was taken over himself and and started to speak with another voice, and all kinds of uh, you know horrific paranormal phenomena occurred and and of course people tried to perform exorcisms on on this young man. But prior to all this, a Ouija board was actually used. The boy was apparently given the Ouija board by an aunt who was a spiritualist, a lady called Harriet. Uh, she was the one that introduced him to the Ouija board because he showed some interest in it. This was in the 1940s. And you can look this up in a book by an author called Thomas B. Allen in his book, Possessed, the True Story of an Exorcism. But also as well, um, I don't know how many of our listeners, Julian, are familiar with the Enfield Poltergeist story here in England in the 1970s i find this an absolutely fascinating case i know nothing i know nothing about it so please do tell us oh yeah. wow it's i mean it's been hailed as, as one of the best documented poltergeist uh, accounts in history really and of course it, it, it occurred in enfield in, in the 1970s in england a young girl by the name of janet appeared to be at the epicenter of, of the paranormal activity and she's since grown into, into a 
it's a mature woman now in her 40s and and she still has uh, horrendous memories of it she she very rarely gives interviews but she has started to give some interviews just recently the things that she says she, she says she's ashamed of, of some of the stuff that happened because she felt as though she she had no control whatsoever whatsoever over a voice that spoke through her and it was the voice of an old man it's a very gruff rasping voice she she started to speak in this voice and the spirit claimed to be a, an old gentleman called bill who supposedly lived in the house prior to janet and her family moving into it supposedly was upset that this family had moved in but all this activity started off because of a ouija board ouija board involvements if you go to the Daily Mail, uh, you find that she's had an interview there. There's a link. Uh, could we include some links in, at all, in fact, Julian? Well, I always always have a page of notes, so I'll include those, yeah. I mean, if you want to read the full article, it's really, really good. I'm only using the Daily Mail as, as a brief summary, really. I know maybe a lot of listeners might not be too keen on the Daily Mail, but but what it says, I mean, I'm very familiar with this account, and uh, what it says is, is accurate. But there's a quote there from Janice, who is now a grown woman, saying... Quote, that she admitted playing with a Ouija board with her sister just before the activity flared up at the home. So a Ouija board was involved there. It wasn't just the possession case. It was, again, like the exorcist story, there was all kinds of uh, scratchings and rumblings around the house. It, it had lots of witnesses as well, this case. Over 30 credible witnesses, all experienced, all kinds of things. One was a police lady. Uh, a WPC Caroline Heaps, who stated that she saw a large armchair move unassisted four feet across the floor. And she inspected the chair for hidden wires, but couldn't find any explanation as to what she'd seen. Uh, there was journalists in the house. Some of them lived there. Some of the people that came, there were psychic investigators. They came to the house. They witnessed objects flying around. A journalist who went said that he'd heard about this and he went and he didn't expect to find anything too exciting. But he said as soon as they walked into the house, there was an air about the place and things were just flying around. He said he just couldn't believe what he was seeing. And this is a sceptic, this guy. He said he was hit in the head by a small piece of Lego or a marble, I think it was, that he said. But he said the thing is, these things that were flying around, when you picked them up, they were hot as well. On another occasion, a large... A uh, fireplace, metal fireplace, was uh, pulled out of the wall in another room. Uh, when the investigators went to hear what the noise was, they saw this fireplace pulled out. Nothing that the children could have done. It was just, you know, too much of a heavy item for them to deal with. Uh, and Janet even claimed to have levitated as well. So, uh, her parents would wake up in the night to banging and they'd find her on the floor screaming and she'd claim to have been flying up in the air. And a lollipop lady who was outside said that she actually witnessed this herself. She saw Janet, amazing as it sounds, she said she saw Janet flying around the room with all kinds of objects accompanying her. <laughs> that does sound quite amusing in a way. Yeah, it's just sounds- like a cartoon almost, yeah. Yeah, bizarre and off the wall as it, uh, and extreme as it sounds. You know, there were witnesses to this. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about, really, because it, yeah, exactly, it does sound yeah. so extreme that you, you do tend to think, well, this sounds really apocryphal yeah. to me. So, you know, I, w- I would agree with you that I wouldn't go to the Daily yeah, Mail to, right. to find out <laughs> you know, the gospel truth about anything, to be honest. So would you be able to point us towards another source oh, for that? yeah, yeah. 
there's a very good book actually by a man called Playfair. I think it's Playfair as well. He actually was one of the investigators who spent time in the house. Uh, I can put a link there at the bottom. I think the article mentions it. But yeah, the Daily Mail article just, just presents a very, very neat summary, almost like a Wikipedia article in a way, really. I, I feel it just very briefly summarises things. But I can provide some good uh, links to some documentaries, which are very, very good, uh, very riveting, really. It can't easily be explained away. I know people have tried to. And some people have said, well, Janet and her sister's a brother, they admitted to actually uh, fabricating some of the things, like they were caught bending spoons by the investigators, things like that. But mm-hmm. the investigators have said that they would have been surprised if the children didn't try to do some things that were mischievous, because that's what children do. They've admitted to saying, you know, there was about 2% of, of the stuff that occurred was fraudulent. But there was things that happened. There was no way that they could have... Uh, fabricated themselves you know it was beyond their means to, to be able to do so I, I was thinking was this the did you say this was the case in which this character bill was contacted yeah. because i mean in that case that seems to suggest that uh, at least it was believed that they were dealing with somebody who had died and it was the ghost that was being contacted yeah. or something like that and i noticed that uh, when i as again going back to that wikipedia article there it referenced uh, a psychologist from the yeah. 1920s that sort of time a uh, dr carl wickland and uh, he had written a book called 30 years among the dead and he was claiming in that book that uh, various people had suffered psychological distress through using the the ouija and um i mean i have a little quote from his book actually you can go and get a pdf from it uh, free off the oh, internet yes. it's very easy and this little quote reads like this in the sort of 1920s uh, style of writing he says the serious problem of alienation and mental derangement attending ignorant psychic experiments was first brought to my attention by the cases of several persons whose seemingly harmless experiences with automatic writing and the ouija board resulted in such wild insanity that commitment to asylums was necessitated. So he's writing there back in 1924, and from his perspective, he believed that the Ouija board was extremely dangerous and in some cases, you know, led to insanity there. But I noticed that he was not a materialist, which is interesting. He had a worldview position that uh, accommodated some kind of explanation that a lot of people would reject. But he was saying that he thought that they were dead persons. Now, you and I would tend in the direction of saying that this is a deceptive thing. These are not dead persons at all, but spirits who are trying to imitate dead persons. And in that case, do you personally think that such spirits have access to the human mind so as to be able to get hold of information to cause that deception? Yeah, I do believe that, Julian. I I mean, the Bible speaks, again, in the Old Testament that these things are familiar spirits and they're able to have access to information. I mean, we've got to remember that these things, if we're to believe what they claim to be and what the Bible claims them to be, these are spirits which are highly intelligent, that have been around for a long time. They know what works, they know what doesn't work. And yeah, th- this spirit that um, claimed to be the, the departed gentleman that lived in the house in the Enfield Poltergeist case, Bill, he gave facts and information about Bill, uh, the spirit that spoke to claim to be Bill. I, I, as you've said, I, you and I would, would see that as a demon, as a familiar spirit, but it knew all these things about Bill. And really, it wasn't really that long ago before Janet's family moved into the Enfield house. So it it wasn't particularly long ago. And in fact, Mm. uh, Bill's son was still alive. And they actually tracked this guy down, uh, Bill's son. And they said that this spirit entity that claimed to be Bill actually said that he died 
in a chair in the corner in the room after having a hemorrhage. He went blind, he had a hemorrhage and he died. And they said this to the son, not knowing him, and the son said that's exactly how he died. And that's why it's such a hook, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. You seem to have evidence of, of some dead relative knowing information that only they could know and that kind of thing. But, I mean, it isn't really evidence that you're actually speaking to that person at all, but it's so close, you know, it's so tantalising that I think people are inclined not to be very critical about that and think, oh, yes, it must be Aunt Maud I'm speaking to. Yeah. But that actually doesn't necessarily follow at all. No, I think emotionally people just open themselves up straight away and, and I think they throw all... all sense and caution to the wind really and, and they just embrace it wholeheartedly which is what makes it a particularly cruel deception mm. as you've said i mean it's not just people in the religious realm who were warned against it it's people who would warn about psychological abuse and harm i've got an inter- interesting article here which is from a very small booklet i'd recommend this actually it's, it's really good it's by a gentleman called edmund c gross it's called the ouija board and it's published by uh, moody acorn and there's a, a really interesting account on pages 18 and 19. It's only a very small book, but it's packed with information. And it says this, Ouija board experimentation also has the potential to affect the behavior of groups of people. The following headline and story appeared in the October the 26th, 1979 issue of the New York Times. Police say hypnosis test prompted school melee. And it says students and teachers at a military school went berserk today after a hypnosis demonstration in a science class the police said harry cunhill a police officer said teachers and students were running around tearing up things after the class holes were kicked in walls and doors ripped down at the miami aerospace academy he said none of the 300 students were seriously injured but one unidentified youth was taken to hospital after he put his hand through a window the police said it goes on to say in, in Gruss's book that two days later, the reason for what happened was reported being an, um, a hypnosis experiment was actually changed. The article goes on to report that the classes were back to normal at the military school after an outbreak of hysteria attributed first to a hypnosis experiment, but then later to a Ouija board game. The teacher of the class resigned, saying that a Ouija board game had got out of hand and out of control. Everybody just got carried away and it was a riot. There were girls screaming that there was a spirit inside the board. That was the next uh, couple of days after the New York Times, 28th of October, 1979. Well, yeah, um, that's uh, a very dramatic anecdote there. But that kind of brings me to one of the things that I wanted to ask you about. I mean, you could take that as a a psychological reaction to a a kind of chance event. So you've got this Ouija board that's being messed about with. You have a sort of kind of spooky atmosphere and everybody's shaking slightly with the anticipation of what's going to happen. And then by pure chance, something gets spelled out. That means something to one of the people in the group and they get spooked out by that. And then that spooks everybody else out. And then you get this kind of mass psychological reaction that takes place. So, you know, could that not be... I mean, in that case, that could have explained what happened there. Would you say that Mm. that kind of psychological route would explain every anecdote like that? Yeah, I I mean, it's this thing called the idiomatia effect, uh, where there's small Mm. subconscious movements uh, of of, of the people who are on the board, who the, the, the idea is that people are just unconsciously moving it. It's nothing supernatural at all. It just comes from the person's own mind and desires. 
But I think I think the problem with that is that apparently there's been tests done. Uh, there was a psychic researcher by the name of Sir William Barrett. Again, you can see this in Gruss's book. And uh, he published tests whereby participants who were operating the Ouija boards were actually blindfolded and letters were rearranged and it still worked. And uh, really? yeah, apparently it still worked. Also as well, there's some people who have spoken about being able to predict the future through the board. It said things that have indeed come to pass. And some of the most incredible literature has been written through the Ouija board in some instances as well. Is it? There's a brilliant book, which I highly recommend, called Singer in the Shadows. It's written by a, a man called Irving Litvag, and it's subtitled The Strange Story of Patience Worth. And this is all about a, a housewife that lived in the early 20th century, and she started getting involved with the Ouija board. At first, not really much happened, but eventually... The words came through, many moons ago I lived, again I come, Patience Worth, my name. And this spirit, Patience Worth, was to appear for the next quarter of a century. And she dictated some four million words. And some of these things have been classed as literary masterpieces. A lot of it is, is written in Old English. And some of the words were so rare that English experts have thought that they didn't actually exist until they digged very, very, very deep indeed and found that these words did indeed exist. And there was absolutely no way that this woman could have known that these words were words that were used in Old English, but also various events that transpired as well that came to pass and things like that. I think it's it's difficult to dismiss it as, as pure sort of the involuntary actions and thoughts of of people sitting around. So this this is you you mentioned it. This is the idiometer effect. Yeah, yeah. So this is where ideas and uh, feelings, which are not being processed consciously, can nevertheless have an effect on muscular yeah. action and and so produce yeah. these twitches that <laughs> can give yeah, the appearance yeah. of. I mean, I'm sure in know. some instances it, 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 that could well be the case. Mm, you mm. know, I've, I've even heard stories where people have taken their hands off. The planchette, the little heart-shaped device, and and it still moves. Right. Well, that would if that's true, that would certainly seem yeah. not to be the idiometer <laughs> effect going on there. Yeah. <laughs> I've got the documentation for that off the top of my head, but I've I've heard of that. Mm. But you know, also as well, the the, the many um, supernatural events that seem to occur straight after. Right. But I suppose that those might come, you know, I'm just trying to play the yeah. part of the sceptic here. And uh, so, you know, you could say, OK, well, maybe there are some more extreme cases where the ideometer argument just doesn't work. But then in those cases, you'd be looking at perhaps just chance. But then you, you'd think if it was just a sort of chance thing going on, that wouldn't be very impressive. So maybe you'd be looking at things like fakery. So could you put all of that down to people just uh, trying it on? Mm. Yeah, well, no, there, there seems to be too many stories, doesn't there, of people who have genuinely said something did happen, but which has terrified them, which has, in fact, destroyed their lives, really. Uh, I think you mentioned about that, you know, the gentleman who wasn't religious even speaking about the insanity that can occur. Mm. It's not something that you would really want to invite or make up, really, to live the rest of your life insane. It's incredible how, just how many stories are out there. I would encourage anyone to, to just type into Google, in fact, even Ouija board stories. It just seems it seems like everyone has a story to tell, really, doesn't it? Of of some horror story or some hideous thing that's happened to somebody with a Ouija board. But yeah, I mean, on top of that, you know, some amazing literature has, has been written with the aid of the Ouija board. I mean, some people even think that although a Ouija board wasn't involved and used, that um, even some religious leaders, such as Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, operated in a similar way. 
Yes, that's right. A peepstone or something like that, as you yeah. reputed to have used. Yeah. Yeah, and and interesting. I mean, the similarities with Pearl Curran and uh, the housewife that channeled Patience Ware through the Ouija board and the literature she wrote. There's so many similarities between that account and uh, the life of Joseph Smith. Mm. I know we're off on a bit of a tangent now, Julian, but eventually Pearl Curran didn't even need the Ouija board. It was just introduced for a short time in the beginning. And then she cast it aside and she just got the voice that spoke through her head and she used a form of automatic writing then where um, she could write her literature and, and she was very fast with, with the amount of literature that she could she could pump out. And in a similar way, Joseph Smith, he, he started with the plates, but then he was able to set them aside and he ended up using a peepstone and a hat and he was able to uh, produce a lot of literature in a very short time. Although I have to say it's uh, somewhat questionable as whether they had any plates in the first place. Well, yeah, <laughs> nobody actually really saw the plates except for some of the witnesses that they claim to have, have seen them. But but then later on, when you look at more detail of, of their testimony, they actually a lot of them actually said that they only saw the plates with their spiritual eyes, which could be interpreted in a number of ways. You know, whether they actually were able to, to see anything physical and tangible is another thing, really. Now, well, that remi- it reminds me of the, uh, I don't know, you looked into it, the, the Book of Abraham, which I, I understand is supposed to be based upon the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Yeah. And uh, when scholars look at the Egyptian Book of the Dead, they find that it actually bears no resemblance to the contents of the Book of Abraham. And then I believe some Mormon apologists have said that, ah, oh, but that's a spiritual interpretation of the... <laughs> so yeah. try to get out of it that way. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to... I mean, I've been, as I said, I've been trying to play devil's advocate on this. And uh, I suppose one other place that you could go to, and this is kind of touching on the issues of the philosophy of science in some ways, uh, which does interest me, and touches on the idea of, you know, our justification for believing various things and not believing other things. And that, I suppose you could take the argument, the line saying, well, okay, well, maybe there are phenomena that are not explainable in any of the ways that have been suggested. But, you know, if we're going to be people following scientific method, then we should say, well, maybe we don't have the answer yet. We shouldn't go for supernatural explanations. Surely one day it's quite possible or very likely indeed that there will be a naturalistic explanation. And so therefore we should postpone any conclusion indefinitely. What do you think to that? Yeah, I think um, all we can do is, is, is look at what's happening in the here and now with regards to people's lives, you know, being destroyed by this thing. I mean, my, my main concern is even if it was to be shown that there was something that was along the lines of a more scientific explanation with this thing. I mean, regardless of what it is, we can say with certainty that it is dangerous because of the, the, the many accounts, you know, Christians will say, oh, yeah. people will become demonically possessed by this thing. People in the secular realm will say people will suffer extreme psychological trauma and even insanity people end up committing suicide through this thing people start hearing voices people's personalities radically change uh, people become isolated i mean all of these things fit in very well with the christian worldview as it stands um but whether another explanation actually will, will be brought forward is something that remains to be seen but despite that we can say with certainty these things produce very negative results and so, some people will actually say though that they don't have any negative results they'll say oh well i've used the ouija board for years and nothing bad has happened to me i often liken it to the, the illustration of russian roulette you you've got that gun you've got that you've got that chamber with the one bullet in it and 
you use the Ouija board, nothing happens. The the chamber gets spinned round. Click, you don't get the bullet. You use the Ouija board again. The chamber gets spinned round in in the in the gun. Click, nothing happens. Somebody who might never use the Ouija board before comes along, uses it for the first time. The chamber illustration goes round in the gun. Bang! <laughs> the head gets blown off. Right. And even the person that's been using it for a long time, I mean, it could just be a matter of time. I do wonder how many people there are out there who have died in mysterious or unexplained situations. And in the background, it's been a Ouija board. It's just that maybe the connection's never been um, identified. Some some people do die in very strange ways. People commit suicide. People get depressed. Um, it does seem people's lives take a real plunge for the worse on the whole, once they get in connection with these things and start using them. So your basic position then is that whatever the cause yeah. is, just leave it well alone it's because alone, yeah. you, you could be one of those people for whom that chamber is loaded. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, it's just yeah, not yeah. worth going there. And I think that's actually really good advice, um, you know, a really good way of looking at the whole thing. But I do just want to come back to this issue of uh, you know, sort of rational justification just for a moment because I think in the... Yeah minds of some people there might be the suspicion that we are actually being irrational for even entertaining the idea that this might have anything to do with spiritual entities but i think this is a bit of a misunderstanding because i do think that one's worldview actually is very important in um in the assessment of the rational justification of belief and uh, you know if we have a situation where we have phenomena which are not explained by current research and materialistic research and seem to be resisting you know there are phenomena that do seem to resist any satisfactory explanation along materialistic lines then because of the worldview that we hold which we hold for other reasons it seems to me that we are reasonable to believe that what we are experiencing could be based upon um, the entailments of that worldview in this case you know evil spiritual entities i don't think that's an unreasonable thing I mean, i'm personally not saying that i think there will never be any explanation for anything that comes up but nevertheless if there isn't an explanation there's persistently not an explanation it seems to me that i'm able to rationally at least be very suspicious that it might be caused by this but i'm very interested in how worldview does relate to what we believe and how we weigh our beliefs on all sorts of levels that does that fascinates me and i don't think it's as clear-cut as people often think it is oh well uh, and there's a couple of interesting stories with that you've reminded me of julian actually because um there's a gentleman called Will Storr. He uh, wrote a book about the paranormal. He was a sceptic. Mm-hmm. And um, he had an experience with the Ouija board where uh, he felt something was happening. You know, he was very, very sceptical, this gentleman. And he, um, you know, had an experience where he did feel like that there was something happening which was far beyond his understanding. I think it's Will Storr takes on the supernatural. But it's quite, it is a good book. I mean, it's, it's, it's written from a secular point of view. And this guy was a sceptic. He just doesn't in- investigate the Ouija board. He in- investigates all kinds of mm. paranormal phenomena. And his conclusion at the end of his book is quite interesting. He actually takes sceptics to task. Uh, and he actually uh, gives them quite a firm rebuke, saying he believes that a lot of sceptics are just simply closed-minded to the stuff that's going on in the world of the supernatural because a lot of them are just not open, really, at all to something that would contradict their worldview. And, and that's the conclusion he came to as a sceptic. 
but um, he said he saw it. I mean, he was a number of things that he saw, but I'd highly recommend that book. That's, that's mm-hmm. a very interesting read from a non-Christian perspective. Yeah, that's, that does indeed sound very interesting. And that sort of prompts me to say that, uh, you know, in assessing this whole situation, I don't want any of this to be caused by evil yeah. spirits. I'm just trying to look at the things that are going on and, you know, find an explanation that I think is reasonable and also to, you know, warn people, as is what you're doing, and warn people to, to keep away from these things. And that really is as far yeah. as it goes. And if the, some other explanation comes up, well, so what? So it's interesting that he should actually have researched into this and then issued a, well, admonition, really, in saying, you know, you're closed-minded about this. I do find that very interesting, yeah. He said he found that quite consistently, really. And he was amazed when he investigated this as a skeptic. Some of the things that would come up, you know, some of the, the, the phenomena that he experienced, he just felt as though he had no real rational explanation for some of the things that he encountered. But there's lots of accounts in that book. That's a really interesting mm. book. There's another one as well. It's out of print. It's quite an old book now. It's quite difficult to get hold of. And it's written by a man called Robert Lee. And it's entitled Beware the Devil. This is a Christian book. But when Mr. Lee had his experience with a Ouija board, he was a skeptic. And he, he ridiculed anything that was paranormal or supernatural. But he had an experience with the Ouija board whereby he said that his arms felt like that they were filled with electricity. And he started to get messages and he was amazed because he didn't believe in it. He was a skeptic, a hardened skeptic. And the messages that started to come through proved to be very informative. They really intrigued him. Uh, Eventually, though, he started to hear a voice in his head. And this uh, spirit claimed to be a guide called the Muse. It started to set him tasks, but eventually became quite hostile, started to humiliate him, started to embarrass him. And this guy was possessed in the end, and he became a Christian in the long run, and he had to have deliverance from this thing. But that was his story. But that's um, Beware the Devil, Robert Lee. Brilliant book if you can get hold of it. And one of the things about being open to the possibility that this could be some kind of spiritual activity going on here is it then allows you to be open to the possible solution of Jesus Christ actually coming into that situation and releasing people from that bondage. I mean, if you have a worldview that cuts that out entirely, then you could be having spiritual oppression going on and always trying to deal with it in in psychological categories, which may help, but it may well not get to the root of the problem with some people. So, you know, if you are open to that, then there is this other dimension that can be addressed. And in your experience, you were released quite dramatically weren't you from the power of your oppression Did, yeah. um, you've already told us something about that um, yeah. there's something I'd like to say Julian actually which um, I, I forgot to mention before which I find quite interesting as well is that a lot of the messages that are given through the Ouija board as well are at variance with the Christian faith and it's, mm. this is something that's quite interesting it's not that these messages that come through are just sort of neutral as such you know they, they actually have a definite agenda where they contradict the Christian faith and the doctrine of Christianity. For example, a lot of the messages that will come through will be that Jesus is just a good man, that he, he wasn't divine. Because obviously people, curious teenagers especially, will ask questions about God and about life. And the messages that they get back mm. are um, 
at total odds with what the Bible says. That's very interesting because that immediately fits with those anecdotes that I've heard of people who have supposedly been in contact with extraterrestrials um, yeah. or, you know, extraterrestrials in the sense of being from different dimensions, yeah. that kind of thing, who will then appear on the scene and say things rather like that, you know, uh, yeah. we're all one and Jesus just came to teach us this <laughs> and things that, as you say, that are variants to what the Bible teaches. Yeah, there's definitely an, um, a big contradiction there in between the worldview of the Bible and the world view of the Ouija board that man can become God everybody goes to heaven regardless now the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 it says the spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons and I think that this is definitely something that happens with the Ouija board people are looking for a spirituality there's that spiritual dimension of every person and I think this is something for the secularists to think about as well. You know, why is it that so many people yearn for the spiritual? Is it because there's already a spiritual portion within us that wants to connect with something? That so many people around the world have spiritual experiences. They yearn for something spiritual. They're seeking something spiritual, whether it's the Bible or whether it's the departed dead. They will seek for it, unfortunately, in the wrong ways. Mm. But people are seeking and it seems that occult tools like the Ouija board or spiritualism, it seems like it's a bit of a way of filling that void, but without any commitments. And it, mm. it's leaving yourself wide open to anything, basically, to come in to, to give any message that it so pleases. And it seems people just embrace them wholeheartedly. I've never understood that, really. It seems people will run a mile from God in the Bible and even ridicule it, but will quickly embrace something like this, like the Ouija board or some new age teaching, I think you can basically still live your life and um, th there's no cost, there's no commitment, there's no turning from sin, there's no repentance, and yet you can mm. still have that spirituality. Yes, it sort of comes back to the Genesis 3 story, doesn't it, where you're still in control. Yeah. You, you don't have to have that relationship where you're subordinate to yeah. God. Um, you can just uh, decide what's good and what's bad for yourself. Uh, even though you're you're contacting whatever these spiritual entities might be, really you're still deciding when you're going to pick up the board and when you're going to put it down and yeah. how you're going to interpret what they say and all that kind of thing. And so you're really in control in a way. Or you, you think you are. You think you are, yeah, for a while. And then um, I, think, I think people that don't have the bad experiences with, with the Ouija board, those that people can be used for a wider purpose i think i think say you're using the ouija board and you're encouraging other people to use it there's a wider plan the spirits behind the board can actually think well this person's useful you don't have to pile in and, and sort of torment this person but if they i think these spirits they're very manipulative they're very crafty i think if they see like a young person who's got no intention of really carrying on with this or taking it really more seriously I think they're the kind of people that these spirits tend to hone in on and, and really tend to try and destroy. But as soon as a person tries, I mean, even someone who's, who's very committed to using the Ouija board, as soon as they try to move away from using the board, and I've heard stories about this, um, and people who have been involved in similar practices like spiritualism, as soon as they try to make the break away from these practices, at that point when something really bad starts to happen, for them, people who are very committed and who are teaching others, because they've stopped serving their wider purpose then. They're, they're surplus to requirements then. It's like, let's dispose of them like an old rag. And it seems that uh, these mm. spirits then tend to uh, put the boot in, as it were. Right, <laughs> and, right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> put the boot in on these people. I mean, I've heard some horrendous stories about this. Remember the story of a, of a lady who was a spiritualist? 
and she was in contact with her guides and they they were more real to her than uh, the people in the real world she had pictures of them all around her, her, her room right. and she knew them all by name the personality she would interact with them regularly and she was would teach other people to be involved in spiritualism but something happened in her life where she just felt like she wanted to make the break from this and get away from this whole whole scenario and just live a quote normal life whatever that is <laughs> and she said it was at that point that's when real problems started for her and these spirits although she wanted to get away from them they will not allow her to get away mm. from them so um that doesn't surprise me at all actually because i mean going back to what you were saying earlier about you know there's a spiritual aspect to us that actually seeks some kind of spiritual reality yeah. in our lives i mean i tend to uh, i'm interested in philosophy and that kind of thing and you know, i tend to think of things in those sorts of categories still spiritually but i think of it you know like um in kind of existential categories like uh, i think that we're created by god but we're created not to be independent and we're only to use the i know it's an often used phrase but I think it's a good one. We're only fully human when we are in relationship with our Creator. That's when we are Adam, as it were, as, as is pictured there in, in you know in that uh, wonderful, wonderful story of the Garden of Eden. There, you have that full human being who is in relationship with his Creator. But we have to find that relationship. You know, if we're not finding it with our Creator, we're going to be trying to find it somewhere else in order to become a full human being. So if we do, in fact, find some dubious inauthentic relationship with some other kind of spiritual entity it's going to be extremely difficult for us then to pull away from that because we found some sense of our whole humanity in that experience that's how i see it and i can well understand therefore why that represents a real bondage that has to be broken yeah definitely yeah well uh, funny as well is enough is that i find that there seems to be a growing number of atheists who appear to be seeking some sort of form of spirituality Mm. They appear to be wanting to retain their atheist beliefs or also be involved in some sort of spirituality. I've I've heard quite a number of cases where atheists are are flirting with Buddhism, which, of course, does have a bit of an atheistic worldview anyway. It just goes to show that there is that spiritual dimension. No matter what you say, there does seem to be that spiritual aspect of us that always wants to break out and connect with something beyond ourselves because we've all got that spiritual dimension in us. I believe that's true, yes. And going back to that story of the Garden of Eden, which I know is, is often people ridicule it. I think it's absolutely packed full of the most incredible teaching, actually. You know, there you have in this, um, I believe, an allegory of the Garden of Eden, you have the tree of life. And that tree of life represents the very presence of God. And you're allowed to eat from that. In fact, you're expected to eat from that. But right next to it, you have the alternative, which is to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and that is representing, that is in itself representing not eating from the tree of life it is representing not having that life-giving relationship with your creator but going somewhere else and you think you're in control and you you're the ones calling the shots but actually as we know you know there's a demonic deception that's going on with that and you're giving yourself to this alternative which is actually destroying you and of course killing you as indeed as the story tells us you're actually bringing death upon yourself by that yeah sorry a bit of a preach there apologize Uh, Um, yeah, it was just one thing I wanted to say, actually. When I brought up this thing about Genesis 3, I just thought it's a possibility that some people might be tempted to think, you know, I'm having a very liberal interpretation of that. But actually, that's not, that's not really true. I do classify myself um, as an evangelical, and I tend to think of that kind of biblical writing there as being you know, packed full of symbolism, but still having historical reference as well. So I personally believe you know, that there would indeed have been an, you know, an early population of human beings that turned away from God and 
consequences in their lives because of that, etc., etc. But I do think, nevertheless, that it's still packed with symbolism, teaching us so much more than that. And I think it's one of the most profound parts of the Bible, actually. I just thought I'd say that so people don't think I think it's all just myth or something like that. Absolutely not. Yeah, so as we're coming quite close to Halloween, I thought that I'd ask you your views on this because, you know, this is something that does come up in Christian circles as being a bit controversial at times. And some people, you know, tend to think that the whole business of, you know, dressing up as witches and going around trick-or-treating is just completely unproblematic. And there are others who have really grave concerns about it and very much discourage their children from getting involved in that kind of thing. And I have to say that I'm sort of somewhere in the middle of this and um, perhaps I'll explain a little bit more what I think about it in a minute but I really want to find out what you think about it Vince would you advise people in one definite direction or the other direction or are you in the middle as well yeah, I am a little bit in the middle myself Julian with this it just seems to be a, I think Christians can overreact a little bit really because I mean the main concern is that it's a pagan festival but we, we have mm. pagan elements within some of our other festivals like Christmas even and, and as long as we can untangle it and we know what's what I mean it's, there's that scripture in Romans and it's chapter 14 I believe it is where it speaks about one person uh, holds one day as, as special another person doesn't and each one should be fully decided in his own mind as to how to treat a day i mean there's the ancient pagan connection with halloween and of course the church tried to uh they've christianized it like a lot of things mm. and tried to give it somewhat of a brighter sort of splash of paint <laughs> so, uh, absolutely and of course a lot of people would tend to look at that and say oh how dare yeah. the christians go and and, and change these sacred yeah. things i think they're absolutely right to do yeah. that personally <laughs> And if you're actually going to bring the gospel to a culture, then why not celebrate the truth of the gospel through the various traditions that exist and, as it were, Christianize them? I don't see any particular problem with that at all. Yeah, it's down to the person, the individual person, as to what they're doing, what their intents are, what their motives are on that. I mean, the church changed all Hallow's Eve, where we get Halloween from. But it was an ancient uh, pagan festival, as I think it's pronounced Samhain. Basically, the festival of the dead, isn't it, really? And I think there's the problem of if you're gravitating towards something dark, whether even it's, if it, say it's even a dark costume, a lot of people will be going to parties during Halloween. I think there is somewhat of a sort of um, tip of your hat towards something that is negative, really. If, if you're dressed up as a zombie going to a party, I think that does kind of lean in favour slightly of us. Well, I, I don't know. I'm into, sort of in two minds about it. I mean, you know, like somebody dressing up as a witch where they tend to put their black hat on, you know, and carry around a broom and all that sort of thing. And But when we're talking about people who really are involved in witchcraft, they look like just anybody else. So uh, I'm just thinking these yeah. real caricatures, I don't really see why in themselves they're a problem. Yeah, but... It's down to the individual again, isn't it? I suppose it's like it's, it's if you're dressing up in that way at a party. I mean, for most people, there's no harm done, really. It's just a bit of fun for a lot of people. But I think it's just in the wider context of what the event is. Mm. It does seem to be somewhat given a mark of approval to it, really. Although a lot of people have no idea actually what's going on and, and what the festival is all about anyway or the history of it. So I think such people probably are unable to really... Uh, have any problems you know there wouldn't would be any real problems for such a person it's difficult to really say with the individual i suppose yeah it is a it is certainly a very difficult one um i mean i'm tending with our own daughter to be to be as informative as possible about all kinds of things so with respect to this i wouldn't want to say that she should not go out trick-or-treating and you know wearing a silly hat or something like yeah. that because i think there's it is in itself this great evil influence because i, I think that really would be 
going over the top. I'd be much more inclined to try to get her to understand that, you know, this is All Hallows Eve and, you know, the tradition of this is kind of um, sort of mocking the power of death because the gospel, of course, means that all who believe in God, you know, have victory over the grave. So that's what this is about. It's not about celebrating death or celebrating evil at all. And so if she has that kind of understanding, I think that's really helpful. And then if it's just a case of going to somebody's going to somebody's house, although actually in some ways I don't actually like trick or treating itself, to be honest, because that strikes me as extortion. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, perhaps that aspect of it I, I don't like very much anyway. So I know it is a bit of a minefield, but I you know I am a bit concerned when it's the disapproval of it is so heavy-handed that I think it yeah, can, oh, yeah, yeah. could okay. even be counterproductive. Put young people off. I think well. Good heavens, you know, get a life. What are these ancient parents like? You know, <laughs> and just, I know. Yeah. Uh, well, with, with my youngest son, I mean, he um, he he's been to Halloween parties, dressed up, you know, in fancy dress in the past. We, we spoke about this. We've said, well, you know, as long as you understand what is actually going on with Halloween, what it what it represents, what it means, then you know, as long as you're not um, given your wholehearted approval to the actual events and and what what, what is occurring and what it's in favour of, then it's down to you as an individual, really. But, you know, he's, he's gone to fancy dresses before him. It's just been an opportunity for us to talk. But we've not been able to come down heavy-handed on him because, as you said, I think that could probably do more harm than good. You know, if you yeah, yeah. if you say to him, you can't do this. So if it's something so trivial, I think it is pretty trivial, but the, the worrying thing is a lot of young people will take the opportunity, back to the Ouija board again, to actually get involved with the Ouija board or try and contact the spirits on Halloween. And... Mm. A lot of the time it'll just be let's get together and, and scare each other and tell ghost stories because it's Halloween. But then some bright spark often seems to come along and says, I know, let's get a Ouija board out. And that's, that's where the, the, the real danger could really start. And funny Absolutely. enough, the, this October, there's a major film coming out, a horror film called Ouija, nicely timed for Halloween, by the way. Right. So uh, <laughs> good marketing technique. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 really the answer to this is not to just pretend that none of this exists and just well I'm not trying to say what anybody should do but you know, I think there is a tendency within some areas of the church to not talk about these things and not not to face the realities that are out there. And I do tend to think that information yeah. and teaching is so important. I mean, from your wide experience of ministry, do you, do you find there are some churches that just don't teach about the dangers of the Ouija board or the possibility that Halloween could go nasty or just ignore it as if it's not really a problem? Yeah, that, I think that's that's the general sort of view. They're just to, just to ignore it, really. Mm. But then you've got other churches which are really into trying to combat it, and they're into apologetics, and you know they they really are sort of knee deep in really the nitty gritty and really wanting to try and meet things head on. And it, it's funny, it's a funny old contrast, really. I, I can never quite understand that. You know, there seems to be a lot of churches that are very um, very vague about a lot of things, really, not just the world of the occult, but evangelism and. Almost a bit like a like a club, you know, mm, like a sort of a social true. club people will go to. And see, I know that at our church there would be no teaching about the danger of these things whatsoever. Yeah. And actually, I was in conversation with my daughter yesterday about the Ouija board because she was asking, you know, what are you going to talk to Vince about? <laughs> you know, and I thought to myself, well, she's ten now. 
she's going to encounter a group of friends sometime where it's going to happen and say, oh, you know, come and do this. And I thought, well, why shouldn't I tell her about this? You know, because forewarned is forearmed, isn't it? So I told her about it and our perspective on it and the the dangers that are there. And, uh, you know, I think she listened carefully. And I, I actually feel good about that now because when she does encounter that, she will have some information there. So we haven't taken the attitude of, oh, let's just not talk about that sort of thing. Let's just just hide it. Let's pretend it doesn't exist, etc. Because I think actually that could be quite dangerous in itself. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. Because they're ill-equipped, then, aren't they? Obviously, and 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 it's the same with other things like the big questions of Christianity, the difficult questions. Uh, why is there suffering? Uh, does God really exist? Because yes. these are the kinds of questions they're going to be asked by their peers, isn't it? When they go to especially when they go to, into, into further education, colleges, unis, and they're, they're going to be asked these hard questions. And, and if we as a church, as, as a group of Christians, just end up ignoring these things and just don't discuss them, Ouija board as well and, and World of the Occult, then when they do come across these people with these different views, they're going to be so ill-equipped. To just not talk about them just leaves that young person wide open and vulnerable. So I think it's good, it's good that you're talking to your daughter about, about these things, Julie, and yeah. Yeah. And I take your your point about the wider apologetics in the churches as well. I think it's very, very important that we do address these things because, uh, as as you say, we've got to equip our young people. And so sadly, in so many cases, that is just not happening. And I find, you know, a a lot of people in the church seem to not even see the importance of apologetics. And that that does worry me. Um, Thankfully, not in all churches, but in our church, that is the case. Mm, It is a concern, yeah. Well, Vince, uh, thank you ever so much for joining us again. As as last time, it was you know really enjoyable speaking with you and uh, all the uh, amazing facts <laughs> you bring up and uh, things that you've encountered in your own ministry and that you've read about, of course, so you read very widely about these things. So thanks ever so much for coming on. Um, I'm just wondering whether you could uh, throw out your your website and YouTube yeah. channel so that can people can find out more about your your work. Uh, the website is Spotlight Ministries. That's www.spotlightministries.org.uk. I don't really tend to do a lot on that particularly at the moment, but I do tend to do a lot more on the YouTube channel, which is uh, Shazulo, which uh, I know is an odd name, but S-H-A-Z-O-O-L-O, Shazulo. And you can find me there if you put that into the search box of YouTube. I'd just like to leave a few links as well, Julian. Um, anyone who's finished listening to this broadcast, if you check around about the bottom of the page, I'm sure uh, you know Julian will be able to pop a few links there. So, sure. Some of the books that I've mentioned, uh, I'll send these to you, Julian, by the way, uh, a bit later right. on today. People will be able to check them out. The articles, there's some newspaper articles there. There's some videos about the Enfield poltergeist, bits of information, uh, stuff that I found very interesting, and I'm sure the listeners will as well. Fantastic, yes. Do do that, actually. And I want this is something I've been saying a couple of times recently to listeners to The Mind Reviewed, is please do go and check out the interview notes and episode notes pages, because I do put quite a bit of effort into getting a lot of information on there. I don't think everybody's aware of that. You know, it's quite a useful place to go to. Um, I do try to include as many links as possible. I listen through to the interview afterwards, noting down all the things that have been referenced there, and uh, anything I think is useful i put on there so yes if you would send those things to me that would be absolutely great and uh just one last thing i wanted to ask because we're coming so close to halloween is there any last message that you'd like to leave with us um 
judging by the fact, you know, there are going to be so many people out there dressing up and you know involved in parties. But there are also going to be the negative side, very negative side of this going on as well, where it's going to slip over in some people's experiences into things like the Ouija board or messing about with tarot cards or whatever it might be. Is there any kind of general message that you'd like to leave with us before we close? Uh, yeah, what, what I would say to people is, ideally, I would say to people, don't mess with the Ouija board. But human nature being as it is, when people say don't, it's a bit like, it's like the forbidden fruit, isn't it, really? It's like yeah. the serpent comes along and says, did God really say? And so telling people not to is one thing. But I suppose what I would say is, ask yourself, why are you seeking a spiritual experience in the first place? And if you are to seek a spiritual experience, let it be not through a Ouija board or through a spirit, which you've got no idea what it is, really. You know, is it a dead person? Is it a demon? Is it just a psychological experience that's going to cause you harm in a lot of cases? If you're looking for a deep spiritual experience, something good to connect with, then contact God, not through a Ouija board, but just through prayer. Come to God in prayer through Christ and ask him to reveal himself to you. Ask him to fill that void that is in your heart as a spiritual being. We've all got that aching void within us. Blaise Pascal called it a God-shaped void. If you want that filling, if you want wholesomeness, you want completeness in your life, then try praying to Christ this Halloween rather than seeking some, something negative. And, and you'd be pleasantly surprised. Your life can be turned around. And you'll find joy, you'll find peace, you'll find assurance that your past has been forgiven, your sins have been forgiven, and that you can have an assurance beyond the grave with Christ. Absolutely fantastic, Vince. Thank you ever so much for sharing that with us. All I can do is to say amen to what you just said there. And once again, to thank you ever so much for coming on. I do hope that we can speak to you again in the future. That would be fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thanks very much for having me, Julian. Great pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.